and uh, we are going to get into the Word today. If you're joining us, we're on a series on the second coming of Jesus. We call it Therefore. What does Therefore have to do with a series uh, about the second coming or the return of Jesus? Well, what we've talked about in light of the reality of the return of Jesus, there are certain things that we should do in our life. And the first thing we said, therefore, know him. That we, if Jesus is coming, he is reality. And uh, we're going to spend eternity with him. We better have a relationship with him on earth. You know, when Jesus said stuff like, depart from me, uh, you know, I never knew you. He didn't say, I didn't, you didn't believe. He said, I never knew you. You didn't know me. We didn't have a relationship. There was no, there was something missing between you and me that wasn't there. You didn't have a relationship with me. We need to have a relationship with him. Can I hear an amen on that? We talked about if, 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 uh, if of course, if, uh, if this is a reality, then we need to get closer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us, one, to, uh, as a guarantee that we would have a future resurrection. So all the spiritual experiences you have, from the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being born again and being baptized in the Holy Spirit to the presence of God or spiritual activity in your life, is all a, basically a guarantee that you got a, you got a resurrection coming. you got an eternity coming. It's your guarantee. It's the earnest down payment of God saying, I've invested in you and I'm coming to completely completely salvage you, even physically, you're going to get a new body. But we also foretaste, we have a foretaste or a pretaste of heaven, that we are tasting the glory that is to come. Exciting stuff. So if that's true, I want to draw closer in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the communion or the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. A lot of people are really into the Father, Son, and the Son, and they kind of stop there. They they're kind of what I call binatarian. They, they don't ever emphasize or talk about the Holy Spirit relationship with the Holy Spirit as believers in Christ. The, his voice, his power, his transformation. We need to experience it. And then, of course, because of that, last week we talked about we need, with that Holy Spirit, to be making disciples. And we talked about penetrating darkness with signs and wonders and miracles and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Just got a just got a, a, a text message that was shown to me by uh, Brent Stahl today. Our, our beloved prayer pastor, Jan Stahl, is in Bhutan. Uh, they're on a prayer walk, just interceding for that nation on the ground. But they've had signs and wonders and miracles and straightened feet and cripples walking. And they've had nothing but signs and wonders. She's penetrating with other intercessors around the world. She's penetrating darkness by the power and the love of Jesus Christ, okay? We're, the Holy Spirit's not to be given to us to hang out and get goosebumps, and he gave me a spiritual massage, and he told me that I'm just his, his, little, his little favorite child, okay? We're here to get the power of the Holy Spirit to go penetrate something and declare the good news of Jesus, and we're, then when these people come in the kingdom of God, we may need to make them disciples, followers of Jesus. And, and so we, we've been talking about all this today. We are, we are, we are talking about, we also talked about hope. I, I, I neglected to say that, that it's not called the blessed dreadful event. It's called the blessed hope. Come on, we get eternal life. Everyone say like, yeah, that's, a, that's good news. Everyone say that's good news. That's good news. All right. So 
Today, we're going to talk about being stewards, and I'll get that actually right at the end, but let me get started on that. My first statement to you today is this, that Jesus made many statements about his return that he would lead us, about his return, that, that would lead us to believe that there would be a delay. And I say this, and I start off with this for two reasons. One, a lot of people will we'll might say that Jesus really taught about his imminent return. He's just like coming real soon. Like he gave him like 30 years to win the Roman Empire. Then he was going to come. And that was the mindset of the, uh, the disciples of Jesus that, man, Jesus is coming right now. But Jesus actually taught some things that would lead us into another concept of that. And I think they're, mis- they're, they're not really quoting the whole New Testament. He had, for instance, when he was coming into Jerusalem in Luke 19, he, he just made this statement. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, why that is so important? Because he was on his way to to ride into Jerusalem when he made that statement. It was related to Zacchaeus. And And he wanted to let people know that his mission was not political. His mission was not to set up a kingdom right there, then, and now. And he wanted to let them know that wasn't going to happen now, the complete final triumph of the Messiah and the full establishment of the kingdom of God. And it says in Luke 19, 11, as they heard these things, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so he said, I'm going to give you a parable here to let you know what this is really all about. And he said, a nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom. How many people know that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom? Okay, and what did he do when he went away? Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. Now, a mina was equal in Greek economy to four months of pay. He gave everybody kind of some starter money. And he said this, I want you to engage in business until I come. And so he taught this parable because they thought he was bringing the full establishment of the kingdom of God. And, uh, <clears throat> the, and he, said, he said, I want to let you know that it's going to be a while, and I'm going to give you this parable about a nobleman that gave 10 of his servants money to invest and to produce and say, engage in business when I come. And what was this business? Well, if you go to Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Everyone say all the world. All I'm going to get you talking with me because I'm going to talk really fast. And I want to make sure you're with me on every point. All the world. Okay, so that doesn't sound like he's coming like in two seconds. That tells me that he was saying there's a plan to spread the gospel to all of the world. And a lot of Christians and a lot of prophetic teachers today think everything's about the nation of Israel. Well, I'm all for Israel, and I'm all for Jews coming into the kingdom of God and God's great covenant oath to Abraham to touch them. I'm all for that, but, but that's kind of what they were on that day. Jesus, you come into Jerusalem, you establish uh, your kingdom amongst the Jews. There was a whole world of people living in darkness they weren't even thinking about. Jesus was thinking about them. We go into the whole world. That's why we got the Guilfords in northern India. That's why we got the Gips in Kyrgyzstan. That's why the Carmenes lived eight years in Iraq and now are in Germany ministering to all the refugees coming out of that part of the world and coming to Christ. I think they baptized 150 ex-Muslims just here in this last year. Okay, we're, we're going to be going the first week of December to see this work and what's going on and, and kind of add to what they're doing. And it's exciting. Why are we going to the, why are the prayers in Tajikistan and Afghanistan? Because we're to go to all the world. 
That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus, we're doing, engaging in kingdom business. And of course, in the parable of the talents, Jesus says, now after a long time, after a long time, the master of the house wanted accounting. And so my, my thought on this is, that, is this, is that we tend to get lax when we think that we have forever. We tend to, to also not look at life as a, as a probation period. Whether we're talking probation period between my birth, my natural birth, and my natural death, or the probation period between the time of Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, and we tend to get lax and just put everything off to, a, to another time and to a, another place and not realize that in this probation period, we're getting tested. We're getting tested first in our character. Also getting tested in our works, what we will do with what God gives us. God has given us a thing called time. God has given us a thing called revelation. He's opened our eyes to the Bible. We know things that other people don't know because our eyes have been opened. He has given us his word. He has given us money and resources, especially as Americans. The United States of America has a unique blessing. I'm not into exalting America above other nations. What we do have to understand is in where we live as the Church of Jesus in the United States of America, we have most of all the resources in the world. We're the richest country in the world with the most powerful army and everything else, most this, most that, most this. America is unbelievably wealthy. The worst of you here would be a wealthy man or woman in any other country I would put you in. And we have a stewardship responsibility with our wealth and wisdom and technology and resources and abilities to fulfill the Great Commission. He blessed us to be a blessing. Blessed us to be a blessing in your life, in my life, in these spiritual gifts. They're called works. Now, you can't separate a person's character from a person's works. Who they are in their character Will, be, will determine what they do with their works. And so their works will speak of the person that they are. We'll get more into that. So since God gives us our life, and God gives us time, and God gives us revelation, and God gives us resources, and God gives us abilities, we're going to give an account to God for what we did with the life he gave us, what we did with the time he gave us, what we did with the resources he gave us. What we did with the natural abilities he gave us. What we did with the spiritual abilities that he gave us. What are we going to do? Did we use these things for his will and for his purpose? We're going to give an account. If this thing is just kind of wear it way off, Jesus kind of taught this and, you know, it'll happen sometime in far away time and place in human history... We're going to kind of get lackadaisical and lazy if we think that we have time that he's been given us and there's going to come a day of accounting, then I'm going to start getting serious about all these things he's given me. This time of accounting where we'll give an account for what he gave us is called the day of judgment. And that day of judgment is going to be a time of reward both positively and negatively for what we did with the things that he gave us. The second coming of Jesus Christ will involve a final judgment of all humans. Paul, the book of Hebrews says it this way, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ 
and go on to maturity. Now here's the foundation that should be in every leader's life. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Come on, we've got to repent from God instead of just trusting little, little things we might do to make ourselves feel good. Faith towards God and what Jesus has done for us on the cross and his word and his will in our life. Going on towards instruction about washings. That's really, I don't like this translation. I don't know why I put it on here, but doctrine of baptisms. We're baptized in water. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's foundational. Laying on of hands to strengthen us, to confirm, to identify where we place in the body of Christ and laying hands and impartation of sickness and setting people in offices and all sorts of things. The resurrection of the dead and this last one, eternal judgment. So these are foundational truths that every believer is to build their life upon. The last one mentioned here is to build your life on the reality of a judgment at the end of time that will last eternally. What I do in this Temporal probation period will determine my eternal reward and my eternal destiny. Paul said it this way, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the Bible says here, all, we must all appear. Every man, every woman, every child, whether believer or non-believer, they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the question is this, is something to dread or to look forward to? You know, outside of a, the dystopia I talked about on my opening message where I showed you that picture like the end of the world and, you know, late great planet Earth and you got all this and they're going to put a computer chip in us and we're not going to submit to it and get ourselves fried and roasted in some, you know, some incinerator because, you know, we just wouldn't bow to the mark of the beast and, you know, wars and rumors of wars and I wish we'd all been ready and, you know, and, and all this. And we just basically scare the daylights out of young Christian children where people can't even talk about the subject because it's just so uncomfortable. Besides that particular thing that's been misused and abused, the other thing that strikes terror in people is this concept. This is the concept of standing before the judgment seat of Christ and his final judgment. Let me just say a few things here on this. It might be dreadful for somebody who is unbelieving and living in disobedience that that's something to fear. You know, I'm ashamed and I, 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 don't, I, um, I don't like to admit these things, but it's part of my life journey. You know, my, my dad was kind of a raw guy, and when my parents got divorced and I started visiting him a couple times a month, he, he had Playboy magazines all over the house. I mean, so from 11 to 13, man, I just read Playboy all the time because it was just there. One day, he got married to my, my stepmom, and obviously that's why she's my stepmom, and all the magazines were gone. I, I think they put two and two together later on, and she'd get those things out of the house. Hugh Hefner just passed away here recently, and the thing I will remember of all that, besides all the images I've had to cast down and everything else, is the fact that there were tons of cartoons. I never, and I always was a junior high kid. I'm thinking, why are all these cartoons? He has all these cartoons about hell. All these cartoons about hell. 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 You know, in Romans 1, the, the Apostle Paul 
said they not only do these things, they, they know that they're wrong, but they encourage others to do them. They, they know that there is wrath coming, is that judge, there's judgment coming. They reckon even Hugh Hefner recognized that judgment is coming. And so, yeah, I would look forward to that day with dread. I would look forward to that day with a lot of fear. But let me just say this. The judgment's already taken place in human history. There's a famous 19th century German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Schelling. And he made this statement as a, as a philosopher in Germany. That the history of the world is the judgment of the world. The Apostle Paul said it this way, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul didn't say the wrath of God is coming. He said the wrath of God is revealed. It's now. You look at human history, how come, how come Babylon didn't last? How come the kingdom of Persia didn't last? How come the kingdom of Greece is Alexander the Great conquered the world. What happened to that? What happened to Rome? You can go, God raises up one king and he brings down another. History is full of the testimony of God's judgment. You know, some of them in the biblical accounts of like the flood in Genesis 6 and 7. You look at them like the rebellion of Korah in number 16. God manifested judgment. He opened up the earth and swallowed them up. We see it in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira kind of strutting into church, pretending to be one way when they were another way, and God dropped them dead. This is New Testament under grace. God's already manifested his judgment. He's also manifested his reward. He said, I like Enoch. Enoch's a good guy. Bring him up. I like Elijah. Bring down a chariot. Bring him up. God already rewarded, and God has already been punishing, and God's already revealing his arm. And even now, in our present time. You know, Isaiah 119 says this, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. God actually reveals his judgment in a positive way in that he blesses you. He favors you because you've been obedient to him. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 11, moreover by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So that's the positive side of judgment. You're already experiencing it in your life. You're kind of looking at your account. How did I get so blessed? And how did we get this house? And man, our God's doing such a great work in my son. How did that happen? In keeping of them, there is great reward. Now, I know bad things happen to good people. But even if you're going through a season where you're going through a bad thing, the, the verdict is still out. But God is going to reward you. God is going to bless you. And of course, then we have the opposite side in our present time. You know, Jesus in Luke 13, it says this in verse 1, there was some present that at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mangled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So Jesus recognized that there were present judgments even in his particular time. There's God's manifesting his judgment now, both positively and negatively. And then there's, of course, there's judgment in the future. Paul called it the day of wrath. 
Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, my point is this. If God's helping you now, God's using you now, God's even convicting and disciplining you now, which according to the book of Hebrews is a sign that you're a son and a daughter. Why would he reverse his judgment at the end? He's working, blessing, provoking, stirring, showing grace, adding. Come on, God's already showing his love and his reward in your life, even now if you're a follower of Jesus. So the question, though, in all this needs to be asked, and I, and I, and I, and, and, and uh, well, I've really got a little bit behind myself on my PowerPoint here. I got so excited about preaching is this. What about the sins of uh, believers? That's, that's the great one. That's the one I'm asked all the time. Like, you know, what if I forgot to confess something? Ooh, I forgot to confess that one. What if I struggle with something that trips me up and I confess it and get up again, but my track record is not really complete victory. I've been up and down and a little bit of a yo-yo What if I am doing something wrong and I don't know it? What if I have some blind spot? Now, I think Christians, they try to to deal with this, what I would call a a debit card analogy. How many people here have a debit card with your checking account? How many people don't use debit cards at all? There's a few of you cash people, okay. I use a debit card. Most of us do. Some use credit cards so you can get mileage and extra points. But um, they kind of use it like this. One theory with the analogy says that all you got to do is you know that this has a bank account with money behind it that that covers when you swipe it. And so we're going to call the bank account the blood of Jesus. All I got to do is swipe it once for my life. And it just covers every expenditure that I have. Expenditures being every time I sin. One swipe, dealt with it all. I don't need to swipe again. The count covered it all. Kind of on the other end, is I got to swipe, 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 swipe. Now, now the, the, pro- the problem with this that God is not a bank account. He is our creator, and he's provided a way for us to have a relationship with him. He does not want us to live in anxiety. One of the beautiful things us getting to go to Germany to be with the Carmody's is it's the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. That's with Martin Luther. We're not going to live in anxiety. The just live by faith. We're not to live in that anxiety, but he doesn't want us to, but at the same time, he doesn't want us to live in disobedience either. Now, here's a scripture that I want to comfort the afflicted with. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Notice, I have been justified by faith in his blood, not my perfection. I want to read you Romans 5.1. It 
children. Therefore, having been justified, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have been justified. Someone said, it's just if I had never sinned. Justified. I've been justified by faith, not by perfection, by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have has put away his bow and arrow. I'm ready to nuke you the first time you step out of line. That would be the... Now, there is a difference between being justified by faith with a heart to pursue the, the will of God, to pursue it with all my heart, as I'm justified by faith, and yet I still experience being imperfect. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. But I'm pursuing the will of God. There's a big difference between that and someone, and someone who would do this. They would confess Christ. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross, but have a total disregard for his nature and for his will. And I just kind of just disregard that and do my own thing, but I've confessed Christ. There's a big difference between those two people. Big difference. We need, in our search for these things, to be balancing Paul's view of faith and works. Not that Paul needs balance. We need to balance in our interpretation of what Paul says here. First, Paul said this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, and I want to say this, apart from the law. Now, some would say, well, Paul was talking about the ceremonial law there. That's just a ceremonial law. I would argue that when he, when he talks about the law in a few chapters later in Romans 7, saying we're basically dead to the law and we're, and we're committed now to Christ, he used the Ten Commandments as his example on this. My, my justification before God is not based on the law. Because you know what? I've broken every one of those commandments. And I can show you how you have too. So I'm not, I'm not going to get justified on that basis. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness apart from the law. You are righteous in the sight of God today apart from your compliance to the Ten Commandments. Yes, you're repentant, and yes, you put your faith in Christ. I understand that. But you're justified by a thing called faith. Say faith. faith. If you're justified by faith, you're justified by faith. You can't try to mix the two. The righteousness of God through faith. It's a righteousness that wipe, here's all. But let's go to something else Paul said. Paul deals with the judgment of God. He says he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Notice these people, that they are through endurance and they're doing well, they seek for glory, not their own glory, they seek for God's glory. They seek not for their honor, they want to honor God and be honored by God. And they, and they live with eternity written on their eyelids. They're living with an eternal, not a temporal perspective. He will give these people eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, 
In other words, I do my own thing. I live for myself. I have no regard for the will of God. I don't really pay attention to truth. There's going to be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. So here Paul says, according to works, well-doing, endurance, seeking God's glory, living for eternity, I get eternal life. And if I live a life of self-seeking and disobedience and unholy lifestyle, I get wrath. Now, is this a contradiction? I thought I got saved by faith. But here it kind of says, like, I got to kind of live well and go after the will of God and do good things, and, and I'm saved by my works. Well, to Paul, if you have saving faith, you're going to be repentant and passionately pursuing this thing called the will of God. I used to love James Cagney movies. How many boomers remember, you know, you dirty rat. You know, he's always raised by Father O'Brien, you know, in some orphanage. And he turns into a gangster and he's got his Tommy gun and he shoots about 50 guys in the prison. There's smoke all around and there's that Irish priest that comes up to the, the warden Johnny's a good boy. Johnny's a good boy. Let me talk to him. Well, Johnny is not a good boy. He just shot a bunch of people. That's, a, that's an oxymoron. To Paul, saving faith, if it's real, turns into passionate pursuit of the will of God. Yes, I'm struggling with some things and I trip over some things. I might have some carnal mo moments and motives. I might, have, I might be wrestling with a sin issue. I may need to be casting myself upon Jesus all the time. I'm falling forward. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm being transparent. And I want to serve and I want to do the will of God. Yes. Yes. But there's something in me with a motor for God. There's something in me with something I want God's will. Because I'm saved. Versus one swipe do my own thing. Now, a lot of parents sometimes with a backslidden child, they love to just say stuff like, you know, my, my son gave his life to Christ at the age of nine, and, and I know that uh, if he dies, he's going to be okay. Even though he's kind of spit on the Bible and just disregarded everything. Well, what he's doing now doesn't connect with what you said happened to him at nine. Something, something didn't take. Something didn't take. I'm not here to put fear in anybody. I'm here to make sure that our faith is sincere. The Apostle Paul would not understand someone who would just justify some wallowing, lukewarm disregard for God lifestyle as a believer. Well, he'll get saved, but he'll lose his reward. You know, when Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians, a misappropriation of a particular verse. We've got to have a heart for God. Jesus will be the judge. Peter said this. He says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Well, we know one thing. Jesus knows what it is to be human. We know, we know that Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. We know that Jesus knows what it is to be weak. And so there's going to be compassion. 
human understanding that judgment. He also knows in that condition what it is to live by the power of the Spirit to do the will of the Father. He will be the judge. And we'll be judged on what we did with this thing called the will of God. Jesus said it this way. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. So, what are you doing with this thing called the Bible? What are you, what are you, what are you doing with the things God has showed you? Now, someone asked me a great question last night. I, I haven't read the complete Bible. I have a lot to learn. Am I going to be judged by those things I haven't learned yet if I die? Well, no. God's going to judge you according to the understanding of what you have, and you're saved by faith. But what if you disregard it? You know, if someone came up to you and said, hey, we got a hot shower, stay at my night, we have a hot shower in the house upstairs, great towels are out there. Oh, I don't shower. Okay, we got washcloths at the wash sink. Well, I don't like that either. I don't like, I don't like soap. I don't like water. I don't like cleansing. Man. I'd rather not wash. We, we kind of think there's something wrong with them. Of course, I grew up with somebody who had an issue with that whole thing. And there was something wrong with her. Oh, someone said, hey, I've got a great meal. Well, I don't eat food. They said, well, there's something wrong. We call it anorexia. Something's wrong with you. They eventually die. What am I doing with this thing called the Bible? Am I making it a part of my life? Or am I refusing it? And am I in total disregard for what it says and what it does? What am I doing with this thing called the Bible? Jesus said, receive my words. Does not receive my words as a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. What are we going to do with this thing called the will of God? You know, when I, right before I gave my life to Christ, I was on a journey as a kind of a, a horrible Catholic. I was a horrible practicing Catholic. Sue was a great Catholic. She, I used to call her the Immaculate Conception, and um, <laughs> grew up in those plaid dresses and the white blouses, and the nuns just all loved her. Didn't love all the other kids, but they loved her. And uh, toast of her family, they loved her. She was just, I, I got a great prize. It took me four years to convince her to marry me, but we finally got there. But, uh, but I got back to Catholic Church my senior year in college, and I started getting a hold of the Bible. I started reading the New Testament like crazy. And, I, and, they, and because I was a local football player, they wanted me to run their CCD class, their Catholic education classes for high school kids. And so I did, being a horrible Catholic, but, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was the football player. And, uh, but I was getting a hold of the Bible. And about three months later, I gathered these kids in the living room of someone's house. And I said to them, man, I've been reading the Bible you guys have got to get Bibles, and you have got to start reading the New Testament. And I'll never forget this one young lady. She said, Bob, I, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to. She said, I don't want to. She's a Catholic. I said, well, why not? Because I don't want to know what I'm responsible for. In other words, ignorance is bliss problem is ignorance is not bliss when I'm refusing revelation. 
What are we going to do with the words of Jesus? Well, since he's coming and it's going to be a judgment, let's steward what you've been given. Steward what you have been given by God. What are you going to do with the gospel? What are you going to do with the Bible? What are you going to do with the revelation, the things God has shown you? What are you going to do with the gifts God's given you spiritually and naturally in your life? What are you going to do with your resources, your money? What are you going to do with the assignments, the time, the opportunity God gives you? What are you going to do with that? Whatever I do with that is going to be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. No one gets an A. No one here is perfect. And this is not to bring anxiety to anyone. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. But if we're justified by the blood of Jesus, this will be our passion. This will be our focus. We're not to legalistically dictate to you what it means in each one of those areas. You've got to read the Bible an hour a day, Lord. True, if you don't read the Bible an hour a day, you're not really serious about this thing. No, I'm not allowed to create a Talmud, an extra law that she'd be tormented by that. But it is truth that we each have to answer in our own relationship with God. When we asked the church to join us in this Make Space for God campaign for three months, you know, you know your zealous pastor was, man, well, hour a day. You know, our wise youth pastor said, Bob, I'm going to kind of tame you down a little bit, parry you down. 30 minutes! I thought it was really compromising. Oh, let's take it down a little bit more. In other words, we can get zealous and we put law and torment on people. That's not what this is all about. But it is to bring a sober reality that everything that I've been given from time to resources to the gospel to everything else, I will give an account of. There was a day that someone presented Jesus to me and I absolutely rejected it. I'm glad I lived longer than that to get a second and third and fourth chance to receive Jesus. What am I going to do with his words? What is given? Let's stand to our feet.